All right, what's up guys? My name is Clayton Thompson. As hopefully you guys know, I run the RS3 page and I run my own personal Twitter for semi obvious reasons. And today, Matt Silvera and Charlie Perkins have come out to Laguna Beach, California to talk with me about training. I have some questions for them and they have some questions for me. Uh, the first thing that I'd like to do though is Matt and Charlie currently run Berserker Training out in LA and they don't really have too many clients yet, which fucking don't knock them. All right, we all gotta start somewhere. <laughs> And but they're they're grinders. That's why I want everyone to know. Like they're they're grinding out of out of a shoe warehouse right now. If that's right. Yeah, it'd be a, a nice shoe warehouse. A nice a nice shoe warehouse. <laughs> and you know they're really out here doing it. So you know they're they're coming to talk training. And Matt's trained all over. Matt, where have you trained at? Yeah. So uh, beginning of my training journey was just like NPA Tom House, like a fourteen year old kid, and you get like introduced just to like basic, you know, like arm care and like uh, just like throwing program type things. And that really like just started the journey for me where it's just like, hey, there's like a way for me to like improve like whatever floor that I'm like, you know, born with. And then from there, um, I threw pretty hard, got hurt, sucked, really sucked in baseball after that, like really sucked um, to the point where I was like a freshman in junior college throwing like upper 70s. And then previously, you know, it was just a low to mid 90s guy just like with pretty raw. And I was like, did not know how to get better from there. Uh, driveline was the next stop. Got back up to touching 90 miles an hour. Went from driveline to tread. And uh, yeah, just trained at uh, this place called Bimal Elite Athletics. Oh, Maybe people forget that. about Joe Bimal, baby. <laughs> yeah. And uh, trained with uh, people online, such as like Christian Thibodeau and like uh, Dak, Brady from Dak and like... Uh, just uh, taking each and every one of like their philosophies and methods, picking their brain and just trying to figure it out like how do you build the best athlete more so than like even just the best thrower. And like that's where uh, those are all the places and people that I've like learned from. And currently working with uh, someone who's just mentoring me in strength conditioning and helping me with my own throwing and martial arts like a journey. His name is, uh, he goes by hybrid uh, athlete performance, likes to stay anonymous, but uh, he's honestly probably one of the best minds out there that is like super underrated. But uh, yeah, that's people I've been training with and learning from. That's tight. Charlie, what cool. about you? Um, I've trained with a few different people. Uh, Matt actually really kind of helped me uh, when I was starting my baseball journey at uh, El Camino College. Uh, it's funny. We started uh, by talking to each other in like the scoreboard booth while everyone was put, else was playing in the inner squad, um, and we weren't playing. Uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so uh, was Matt hurt, or why weren't you playing? Honestly, we were both just like the worst guys on the team. Yeah, nice. we fucking sucked. Like we, uh, <laughs> like Matt was coming off of a shoulder injury. Um, I just really threw slow because uh, I had never done any training before. But I was uh, still throw slow. Uh, no, but uh, it's so-so. I'm, I'm like upper eights, low nines. Sure. Um, so it's all relative. Charlie, um, how tall are you for people that... Uh, I'm 5'7". He's 5'7", and seven. throws upper yeah. eights, low nines. Yeah. Uh, so after that... Bro, all uh, you need to do is sit like 90 that, that's what I'm trying to do. I, I, if I can flash fives, that'd be great. Uh, let's, I just, let's not dream here. Let's, <laughs> all right? But, uh, no, I know how to pitch and stuff like that. So, like, I, I think with, the, with the, whatever below, good pitcher. Um, I could compete. Yeah. Um, but, anyways, continue with the training. So, we started off with driveline doing, like, a, 
whatever like remote program they had you on. It, it was, was just, just like, like a basic, basic intro. Here's your eight week. Like, yeah, uh, basic intro to yeah, throwing yeah, program. Ramp, nice. Um, and we'd just go long toss at like our local high school like every day. It wasn't like, long toss. It was like pull downs pretty much. Yeah, just we, max we, effort. Like sure, we were just idiots. Bro, people forget back in the day, drive on was velowing with the wrist weights on. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did not know the that. one pound wrist weights used to go around the wrist. People forget. People That's forget. crazy. <laughs> So um, if you think the shit that you long toss it every day is stupid, just remember about where we've come from. <laughs> I guess so. Um, so then after that, uh, that's when Vinyl Elite Athletics actually like opened up for the first time. And mm-hmm. uh, Matt saw them on Instagram, and then like I just went in there and was just like a little timid kid. And, like I saw Joe working out, and was like, "Hello, Mister Bible, can you help <laughs> me, please?" And uh, they helped me. They helped me get from like eighty to ninety like pretty quick. Um, so that was really cool. Just like honestly, just like put on a lot of strength really fast, and that helped me throw a lot harder. Dude, that's yeah. that's the number one thing that people still kind of sleep on. Like yeah. going from eighty to ninety, bro, <laughs> just get strongest. Like that yeah. might not be good for the long term athletic development, but dude, sure. if, if you're just a nobody that no, throws eighty two, yeah, like just get jacked. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, just, worst case scenario is you still throw slow and you're jacked. <laughs> like your jack just goes up better, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Just GPP yeah. to the max. Um, and then after that, I trained under Kyle Rogers for a bit. Um, oh, big body by Raj guy. <laughs> big body by Raj. Huge guy. body by Raj. Um, you know, I think Raj is a really smart guy. Uh, it just didn't really work for me. I think it was just more of the same, like really hammering strength, and I needed something else. Sure. Um, okay, I do have a question about that because yeah. I kind of I'm not saying that this is Kyle that. I wonder what Kyle Rogers. So this is this is like a question directed at Kyle, but you're gonna answer it for him. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll do my so, best. <laughs> it feels like Kyle takes just a lot of like Killian Hamilton and the muscle doc stuff. Yes. Okay. Uh, through that pre skit. Yes. Have you have you taken the course? Like, what I do you know about that? I have taken the course. Okay. Um, it's see, honestly, it's interesting because a lot of the stuff that like hybrid gives Matt seems really similar. Yeah. Um, In what ways? A, if you don't uh, mind well, me. it's like um, just like loading things to like achieve like more internal rotation because of uh, I don't know the gate or something like that and the, the way okay so they put him in like a contralaterally loaded stance exactly and then have him load into internal rotation right with hopes of achieving more internal rotation exactly okay um, so like uh, <coughs> that's what Kyle did a lot with me um, I just don't think that was really an issue for me so I didn't really see a ton of like gains from it um yeah, like, I mean, I'm really, like, a big, like, power monster. Like, when I, like, train explosively and heavy, like, that's when I'm able to generate a ton of force. Versus, like, when I'm training with a lot of, like, slow tempos and stuff like that, like, I'm, for whatever reason, it I just don't move very well or I'm not very explosive when I don't train explosively. Um, so well, that makes sense, right? Because, like, you have all these factors and, like, probably the best way to do is train these factors concurrently. And, like, it seemed like when you were training with Rogers... Like, you weren't even maintaining the factors that made you, like, this guy that was, like, 88 to, like, 92. Right. Like, you weren't, like... You do have to maintain what makes you great. You can't exactly. just go away. So, it's just, like, he wasn't, like, pushing strength or power to, like, yeah. the degree that he was before. Yeah. Not even at a maintenance level where just, like, the uh, stimulus of, like, what he was doing was just, like, it was being underdosed. Yeah. And, like, he was, like... And, like, uh, Charlie, you know, super wide fucking ISA. Like, super strong guy, naturally. Like, uh... Pretty powerful and whatnot, and like those are. How much do you weigh? I'm, uh, right now I'm like 190 pounds. And you're five seven. Yeah, but he's been up to like 205. And I know. I'm thinking yeah. he could drop weight though. Yeah, no, that's. I'm trying to cut right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. 
but yeah, like he had like these A A tier factors. Charlie has like elite level like strength genetics and his power can be like is up there as well. But then he's like working on like factors where it's just like, hey, Charlie's not gonna be the best rotator. And it's just like his A tier stuff was like going to like B tier, C tier while he was like bringing his like, you know, F tier stuff to like D, C tier. And it's just like, maybe you gained five miles an hour on working on the things that he wasn't like working before, but there wasn't like enough of like a maintenance uh, of like the qualities that made him like, you know, that guy that was like from 80 miles an hour to like the low 90s. Yeah. Right. So like you so for the rotation problem, time. yeah, water bags, dude. That's what we do. Yeah, water bags. Uh, some things that I've seen work really well are the so like not just like one water bag rotation. It's the water bag and recoil mm-hmm. for the stable. So mm-hmm. let's talk about rotation for a second. So rotation has to occur over a fixed point. Like it has, you have to have a fixed point, and then you're rotating around that fixed point. Right. Okay. In my opinion. When the upper body rotates, that lower the lower body is the fixed point, mm-hmm. okay? Or you know the spine or the right or the 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 glove arm. It depends on how you view the throw. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of this argument, we'll just say it's the lower body. So like that's the fixed point. It needs to be stable for a lot of reasons. Like if you guys have watched my YouTube video, it's like the the stability stability. So strength is the foundation of the stability. Stability stretches or strength and friction stretches the tendons and provides elastic energy transfer. Okay, the water bags with quick rotations, that's gonna make you find a stable base because of the unstable load. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm pretty in on water bags, mm-hmm. personally. Like a lot of people, there's a, kind of a kickback right now, but yeah. you know, as with anything, like we'll find the happy medium eventually. <laughs> um, but like, I'm pretty, pretty in. And then when do you, uh, when do you like use like water bag training? Cause like there's like two different like schools, right? Where you see like the Florida Armory, um, like Franz Bosch like type of like movements and like yeah. way of cueing things where there's like maybe let's say a big emphasis on hip lock and then you see like 108 and they're just huge on like just ripping it like really training that recoil and whatnot yeah like where do you find uh, I guess the value like specifically or I would say there? that just so anytime there's this is a Randy Sullivan this is a Florida baseball ranch thing but anytime there's instability in the throw like somewhere that anyone isn't like stable or it looks unstable just like you can tell like if someone looks unstable and like they're flying way open like the the number one reason why like people staying closed longer looks better is because they don't fly to towards their glove side after the throw is over like that might not technically be a bad thing but like you can tell when someone's flying way open because like there's no pat like everything is just falling to the side pretty much like there's no torque there's no like rotational power and that's what instability means to me like a lack of kind of juice it's just like flailing everywhere and so like there are if you read this book there are eight indicators um that like stable lead leg stable back leg stable throw it's just like all the things like should be stable but only at certain times so like when you think that segment is transferring energy into the next segment that's when it needs to be the most stable Mm. so when i'm trying to transfer energy into my torso my hips need to be stable so they can't be like tweaking to the side, like anything like that. Like they need to be stable because if you use the, the, the nail or the rubber band metaphor, that's my stable point that I'm stretching the rubber band against. And I think that that's like where I see the most value is to try to find that stability. Because, I mean, obviously there are going to be, you know, guys that break that mold. But like it's worth, you know, having a water bag on them for 10 seconds and seeing if it gets better. Mm-hmm. Because water bags are one of the few things I think that can make 
like rep to rep changes. Gotcha. And then you see that like through just like being better at the drill itself. And then like you yeah. see like how the throw like progresses like through video and whatnot. So if like you're isolating like let's say like hip lock and whatnot. And it's like, oh, okay, it's a bit more stable in the hips. And then you see like, cause like, uh, I guess the, what I wonder is like, you know, how do you measure that? Like, how do you measure that you're getting better? Like, or I mean, it's working. Do you, you have know? a million dollar biomech lab? I mean, yeah, the shooter. Yeah, what were you saying, Charlie? Well, I was just going to say, like, uh, I mean, hopefully if you get better at rotating via water bags, like when you throw, you should throw harder. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the number one way that you know anything works. I mean, but if you're if you're stupid like me and you don't want to throw and you try to throw harder, um, you know, you do you do drills in the weight room. Like, you, you get out the, the swing radar, you get a PVC pipe, you swing the PVC pipe as hard as you can, you go do a stupid water bag drill that's probably not going to work and you go back and do the pvc pipe drill gotcha like i mean that's it's just like if you're training rotate if you know you suck at rotating and you don't know how to train it and throw you go to the thing that also is rotation outside of the throw that you think will transfer to the throw and then you train to get better at that and then see if the throw got better Mm -hmm. and then if you don't want to do that you take two steps back train the thing that might input so you suck at (laughs) rotating in the throw why? Well, I can't rotate fast when I swing this PVC pipe. Okay, I'm going to train to get the PVC pipe, PVC pipe uh, better. And I train, I do this water bag shit. It doesn't work. Okay, why did that not work? Well, I don't have internal rotation of my, you know, left hip. That's probably not how that works. But like, if you arrive at that conclusion, then you train the left hip to have more internal rotation. Okay, and then you check back on your KPI that should impact the throw. Right. Interesting. Like you just work in the chain like you're you're doing things for a reason it gets a lot lot harder when you work with 15 guys at once because then then there's no time then it's like then it's like what do you do like i I have 15 guys like i can't be like oh this one guy has has bad hip ir which i don't even think hip ir negative hip ir is bad so that's you know i tend to leave that alone uh i don't really believe in stretching so but you know to each their own but I'm just saying that's a like for instance. Mm-hmm. So like passive stretching or like loaded stretching. I think loaded stretching is just strength through range through right. the range of motion that you have. I don't necessarily know if you should do that to increase your ROM though. Mm-hmm. I think just full ROM lifts are good. Right. I have a question for you, Clay. So we have an athlete, yep. right? And this guy's been up to like 97 in the past, and uh, that's cool. Yeah, no, awesome. Dude's pretty, honestly, he's like the best athlete yeah. that I've like ever come across. He's just impressive. he's naturally extremely strong. He was super elastic, but also just like was able to generate a shit ton of force like as well, like in all things. He just did everything super well. Um, he had Tommy John surgery and during that time, he like uh, just started like he had a goal. Oh, it's just like yeah. He was, his goal was like I want to get big, I want to get strong. I'm going to compress the fuck out of myself. So he sure. started like training like a power lifter. And uh, like and working with uh, someone who just trained him, you know, as such. So it became like super, super compressed. And like he's coming back and whatnot. And like the velocity is like not there where he's just like in the low nines and he's not moving the same. And he's he put on like 30, 40 pounds of like mass and like yeah. not all of it great. Yeah. And like you like obviously like there's some sort of things like from compression that like will help us. Right. Where we want like some like. um Putting on more mass, like, increases, like, our compressive, like, you know, uh, potential potential and sure. whatnot, right? And, like, there are, like, 
positive qualities, but he's like got some like maladaptive, like uh, negative, like you know, maladaptive like adaptations from not training, like uh, the other factors that made him great while like just just driving compression, 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 compression. So like when you find an athlete like that that has like gone so far on the spectrum of just being like overly compressed, like what are like uh, methods or things that you do to like help them like return or become like you know more expanded? Yeah, so the classic is, what were they doing before? Just find a program and then give it to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's super dumb and it's super, like, backward. Like, that makes you feel like such a shitty coach. But, like, <laughs> but I mean, if they if they threw 100 before doing this, like, why why would you not just, like... Sure. Yeah, and it, it's, it seems to be one of those situations because that's exactly what he yeah. did. Yeah. He went back to, like, the things where it's, like, when I was throwing in the upper 90s, this is yeah. what I was doing. And it wasn't having like the same like uh, you know, return where it's just like some of the adaptations that he's made have been like really far on like great yeah. great for being like an immovable fucking force. Great yeah. for being a brick. Well yeah. it sounds like you already know what I'm about to say. And it's cut all unusable mass. Like that's that's always like that's always the first part. I mean, there's this I don't know, Ben Baggett posted about the, the belly fat being <laughs> fascia. And I'm like I'm like everything's laced in fascia like it's not it's like everything's encased in fascia and then jake Turo is like everything's encased in fascia so like why do we care and i'm kind of in on that because like everything's like everything's fascia bro you're always training fascia like i don't know so i mean maybe maybe there's that but i'm under the opinion like all unusable mass like get out Mm -hmm. because every pound of unusable mass that i lose increases my reactive strength because I keep muscle, mm-hmm. I keep strength, but I'm moving less weight, which increases. I mean, I'm gonna jump right. higher. Like I'm right. gonna jump higher. I'm gonna my RSI is gonna go up. Like all my all my all my shit's gonna go up. Like why would I not like try to do that as often as I can? And then, I mean, if the, some of the compression's good, keep it. Right. Uh, number one thing though is train the athlete in the way that they need the most. Like if they need, you know to steal from db hammer for a second they need neural rate train neural rate right they need neural magnitude train neural magnitude they need neural duration train neural duration can you go into like uh neural rate neural magnitude neural duration and like what uh different methods and like exercises will be put in like each yep uh here's a really really dumb way to think about them but this is i mean speed power strength okay very important thing that goes into neural rate is Essentially, it cannot be trained with strength. There's no crossover. You can t- train speed and power. You can train power and strength. There's no, there's a divide, the great divide that lies. Okay. So, things that would involve strength are, are speed, sprinting, jumping, like anything where you have to create a quick twitch, like activation potential type. Mm. Like, because when we talk about neurodynamics training, we're not talking about the muscles. Like we're talking about the impulse, the nerve impulse, and and the nervous system itself, and so anything where a quick sort of action potential is needed to re, to contract and relax really really quickly, that's something that you want to train. Like a very very easy test. This is kind of just like not what you asked, but a very very easy test to determine neural rate versus neural duration. Like which dominant, which one dominant you are. Kyle Bodie talked to me about this. Uh, when I was at driveline over the last week or so, it's you can pull it up on your computer. It's a space bar tap test. Hmm. 
or the pen tap test. Mm-hmm. Like I know Pitching Doctor has guys do the pen tap test. I mean, Pitching Doctor is just stealing Jay Schrader and all the hammer <laughs> stuff, and he's also a fraud. But, um, <laughs> but the the tap test on the on the computer, like that's something that everyone can do. You count the amount of the amount of taps with your non dominant hand, obviously, that you can do in. Uh, well, which is kind of weird for me because my right is actually dominant on that than my left, but, uh, but you count the amount of taps that they can do in you know ten seconds, uh, or nine seconds, I guess. And so, like slower amount of taps, like less amount of taps, more neural duration dominant you are. More amount of taps, more uh, neural rate dominant you are. That's a very very easy way to think about it. Um, so speed. Power, I mean, exactly what you think power is, a little bit longer of a nerve impulse, can be repeated a couple times in a row without super high amounts of fatigue. Um, and then uh, strength, I mean, the nerve, the rate, it's like a 1RM bench. That's a really, yeah. really yeah. easy way to think about it. And so, you know, neural, neural magnitude is kind of trained in that 50 to 75% AW 1RM zone. So actualized weight, or I forget the actual term for it, but it's just it's like accentuated weight or something. I forget what it's called in the book, but essentially you normalize for body weight mm-hmm. and the amount of body weight that is in the lift impacts the amount of weight that is on the bar. Cause when I back squat, more of my weight is involved in the back squat, more of my body weight is involved than in a bench press. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like that, uh, uh, back squat at 315 is like 15% more or some, some number I think it's 15% more than a bench press at that same weight mm-hmm. because more of my body's involved. So that's that's what goes into neural dynamic or neural rate, neural magnitude, neural duration. Mm-hmm. So when you were training with Thibodeau, yeah, what did he, did he have anything on that? Because I know so I know Tibbs is kind of in. I I'm not exactly too sure, but I know Stefan Jones yes. takes takes Tibbs and DB stuff and integrates them really well. Yeah. So um, okay. So I trained. Under a guy, under Tibbs. Sure. Which sure. is, you know, uh, secondhand Tibbs. Yeah. Um, great dude. Love him to death. Like, awesome guy. Like, oh, What's his name? Can you get oh, yeah. Shout out to Tom Shepard. Dude, yeah. is like, yeah, great guy. Learned a lot from him. Um, and we, like, we spent a lot of time using, like, the omni-contraction method system. So you're going to have, like, a day for, like, each adaptation. And so the omni-contraction, like, method uh, system is basically, and, and you have an eccentric day, an isometric day. Uh, a concentric day and then you have like a fourth day and that's just based off of like whatever uh, you know limiting factor or need uh, that like you as the individual like you know is lacking so um, pretty much you just have a day focused on like the contraction type and then how depending on like how advanced or where you are um, in your like training cycle or how close or far out to competition it kind of sounds like Grant Fowler like he kind of does the same thing interesting he like he he does like different weeks though, not not different days. But keep going. Gotcha. Yeah. So like depending on like how far you're out to competition or like where you are in like the phase, um, you'll get like different uh, types of methods as well as like how advanced or like novice uh, you are as an athlete. Um, so it's not like a concurrent training program. It's definitely not like a hybrid training program where like you have like a uh, an accumulation, intensification, and realization phase. Um, which like I, I me mean, personally, like I used to think like that was the way to go you like, mean linear periodization pretty though? much yeah and, and hey like, dude if any swimmers are listening to this you should probably do that <laughs> there you go <laughs> unlock unlock also hit up charles Paul Quinn. 
But yeah, I think it's just uh, like, let's say you're trying to build elasticity, right? And uh, like elasticity, like building like elastic qualities, like takes a lot longer for like those adaptations to set in um, than it would like even like muscle building, which takes like a while. And so like, you know, you train to be elastic. You're not only just training the tendon, but you're training like the SEC and the PEC in the muscle and all the other fucking like tissues in there. All right, Matt, test time. What is the SEC and the PEC for the people listening at home? SEC, series elastic component, PEC, parallel elastic component. Can you define either one of those? I can't either, so I'm asking <laughs> I'm asking you. I think, oh, God, dude, that takes me in the way back. No, yeah, like, what I first learned about them was, like, uh, like one of the first books I were, like, read. Like getting what was the name of that strength. book? Um, it's one of Tib- it's Tibbs' book. It's, like, the yeah, yeah, yeah. modern theory and application of strength and power methods. Like sure. Something along dude, those lines. Dude, everyone's, I read, I have a couple of Tibbs' books on my computer right now. They're, they're sick. Yeah. yeah, and he has great information, dude. I need to read that one. Modern strength and power. Yeah, the uh, the theory and application of modern strength and power methods. Okay. I think it was like it's pretty much like a. It came out right before triphasic, and it was just like a. A raw triphasic, pretty much. Sure. If you want to like think of it that way. Um, Interesting. But yeah, like. These are things where, like, like training at, uh, elasticity, where it's just, like, it's probably better trained over the course of, like, a year, two years, rather than you have, like, these blocks in which you train that, like, one quality, and then you don't touch on it. So, basically, vertical integration, your emphasis is elastic qualities, <coughs> you need elastic qualities, you train them at all times, mm-hmm. and then you basically microdose the things that you're good at at Pretty the same much. time. Yeah. Okay. Boom. Um, but let's go back to the tips thing. That's uh, the, the way that, like, I was trained like through like a yeah. Thibodeau's like methodology again it's more it's linear periodization yeah. and so like you'll um, you'll start out like your eccentric day it'll just be like tempoed so yeah. you're just you have your six second eccentric and you, it's pretty much you're just focusing on that contraction your ISO day probably will be like in your prep work you'll have some sort of like overcoming ISO um, and like in your, your main meat and potato work so you have statodynamic ISOs uh, basically like think about like a squat and you either have like one pause or multiple pause through like the eccentric or concentric of the movement. And then you have, you your, got strong as shit doing this, right? I got pretty strong. Okay. Um, I actually got a lot stronger, uh, training myself like now, okay. um, than I did with the, um, Thanks. with, uh, training like with all like the, uh, tempos or the emphasis. on. Okay. The we'll ask about that after. Keep yeah. Going. And then you have your concentric day and just like, just think about it like you're in the gym with the boys you're lifting, yeah. right? And that's like, boom. And then you have your fourth day. And your fourth day, uh, it might be to touch up on some qualities. It might be a structural balance day. It might be like you, if you're lacking hypertrophy, it's a bigger emphasis on like hypertrophy um, and uh, you know whatnot. And then from there, there's like different methods that are built upon like each contraction. So like you go from like just like your tempos to your eccentrics. Yeah. And like and just like super max. Exactly. You, you just build. Okay. Yeah. I'm with you. Same with ISO, same with yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hope that everyone listening fucking understands that he's gonna progressively <laughs> overload these exercises <laughs> until he hits a phase where he's gonna peak and then move fast. Yeah. So exactly. Okay. okay. That's okay, so you're training yourself now. Are you training him? Charlie? No, he's training me. Oh, he's training you. Okay. I'm training Charlie, and then uh, I hybrid athlete performance is training me now. Just started about like, okay. three, four weeks ago. Okay. Oh, yeah, he's anonymous. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, Dumb yeah. question. So, Charlie. <laughs> yes. How? What experience – do you have any experience with, like, advanced lifting methods? Like, what 
who have you trained with? Like, what what experiences have you had, or like, what have you? Taken um, away? So I mean, Rogers, like I said, we, it was a bunch of the prescript stuff. Yeah. Um, I did go to Tread. Um, Tread was just honestly a bunch of meat and potato stuff until I did get to like a peaking phase. Um, so, so you encountered so, the peaking phase. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of I I guess that's triphasic. Yeah. Um, so that was all the co contractions and all that fun stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh, Okay, here's something. Sorry, I'm not trying to interrupt you. This is just this is just something that's been on my brain for a while. Fucking co-contractions are just neural rate exercises, yeah. bro. No, he just stole them. <laughs> he just fucking stole, bro. Anything where you're going back and forth as quickly as you can for five to seven seconds, staying under that neural duration threshold, that is neural rate, bro. It's just neural rate training. Yeah. God damn it! He made so much money. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Think about how much money he made off of stealing that shit, dude. dude Think about pathetic. it, dude. Each copy of Triphasic's like forty bucks. Yeah. God damn it! Two's coming out now. It's coming out, bro. Yeah, dude. I mean, we were in on the Caldeet sauce with the freaking. No, I think it. I like like when I say he stole. Like I think it's good. Like I mean, everyone goes through the fucking horny triphasic. Yeah. <laughs> it's a part of growing up. It's, it's <laughs> no, boy. Exactly. You like girls. You like triphasic. You're you're ready to go. <laughs> and then maybe one day you'll move into the into the fucking everybody moves different. Everyone's a special little flower. Everyone, you know. Everyone, ecological dynamics, dynamic system theory, blah, 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 blah. and then you'll just realize that nothing matters and your whole life is a lie. And then you'll steal from BB Hammer, just like everyone else, dude. All right, so you, you're in on the Caldeet shit, or you were you were doing your yeah, peaking I mean, phase. Like, it, it helped me. Like I think, uh, like at that point, at tread, uh, honestly, like that was like when I threw the hardest of my life until yeah. until I played the following season. Yeah, I saw um, you throw ninety one nine. Yeah, 91. I was like sitting 91 that whole time. I didn't throw a pitch below 91, but I didn't touch 92. I mean, that's uh, tight. <laughs> it was cool, but also like, dang, I'm sitting my peak, but like can't reach that next yeah, level. Yeah, but that just means like if the capacity goes up to throw a certain amount of velo, like that means you just need to actually train peak. Right. Like you were training capacity, which mm-hmm. I think no one trains peak. I just had a thread about this. Yes. Like, I, I just I, don't I think you're have a question for you on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred yeah, yeah. yeah. B, ask it. Let's well, go. Well, I was just gonna ask you, like, so, like, how do you program your velo days, and like, how do you progress? Because it's like, uh, are you a big like, okay, plow velo to now mound velo, shuffle throws, pull downs? Okay. Or are you like pick one drill that you like, and then we're gonna train for for peak? So, this is in theory how I would do it optimally. This is not how I do it because. Some things aren't possible. Right. All right. Like I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't train optimally all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just like the how it works when you work with athletes. But if I had, you know, unlimited, but not not just unlimited resources, unlimited amounts of coaches. Here's how it would go. You warm up however the hell you want to warm up. Okay. I personally enjoy like touching max V, like in a sprint, like having enough room to sprint, like jumping. Like getting primed, throwing something hard, okay? And then I take my warm-ups, okay? Like whether it's a baseball, like I, I do my minimum intent. Like a lot of people start catch play with too low intensity. So I would actually probably start with like catch play because catch play starts out really low, really light to a partner. And then I would, you know, whatever my intended catch play is for the day, I finish that out, okay? Maybe like 
there's there's great on ramps with catch play. You know, you back up really slow, you take all the throws you need, yada yada yada, and then you start throwing harder. Okay, if I'm finishing up with a plyo velo, I would then move into my plyos right after finishing that catch play. I would take adequate amounts of rest, like three to five minutes between those between that catch play, and then I'd move into my plyos and I would just start chucking them hard. All right, I would I'd throw the bejesus out of them because I mean that's 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 the adaptation you want. Like, there's no reason to warm up again. Like, you are good to go. Right. And then if we are training the peak, like, once I am throwing whatever I think is close to my max, then I begin. Okay? 100% let it eat, first throw, boom. There's the initial baseline. We have our drop-off. Okay? Whatever whatever drop-off you're training that day, 2%, 1%, 6%, 10%, whatever. From there, that is our initial baseline. Okay? I keep throwing until I improve the baseline, okay? Or I hit the drop-off fatigue. So the reason I say improve the baseline is because if you improve the baseline, so you start off, you throw 100. Okay, I always use 100 because it's right. very easy math. Okay, throw 100, throw 100, 10% is 90. That's exactly why I do this because 10% off 100 is 90. Okay, but then I throw a pitch at 101. Okay, then pretty much the drop off is 91. All right, so even if you throw one pitch above the, the fatigue or whatever, like your, your new baseline improves. Right. And then... You're, you have a different amount of fatigue. So, like, if I'm, like, 90, 91, 91, 91, 94, and then my next pitch is 91, like, unless you think that was a mystery. So, it's, like, maybe it's, like, 91, 91, 91, 93, 93, 91, and I have a 2% drop-off that day. Like, the next 91 I hit, I'm done. Yeah. Like, that, that's just how it works. So, what – I guess now following with the drop-offs, like, where, what is the benefit of, like, a higher drop-off versus a bigger drop-off, per se? Like, yeah. 2% versus 10%. 10% uh, you're training fatigue. So how much fatigue can you withstand Okay. without, you know, getting injured or dying or bursting into the sun because you're that awesome and you can throw 100 for so long. Um, and then 6% is just like moderate levels of fatigue. So in a frequency cycle, um, like how, how often can you withstand moderate fatigue or light fatigue? And so anything below, you know, 6% is considered light fatigue, which I don't necessarily agree with for baseball especially relievers because when a reliever gets gets down more than three percent like you're you're gassed like if yeah. you're throwing 95 and you're down to like 92 91 sitting like you are done yeah like there i mean maybe it's a hot take though like i can't prove this but like maybe that's because we never practice throwing like getting down 10 percent like that that sure seems risky. <laughs> that sure, I would have a hard time Play validating that. Eighty-one. Yeah. <laughs> like, please dude. let me stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, keep going until it blows out. No, keep going till you like, bro. Having a ninety-mile-an-hour athlete and being like, hey, just so you know, today you got to throw until you throw eighty-one. Like. I love it when my arm feels like has a floss band on it. Yeah. <laughs> like it just might come right off and you might grow a new one. But I mean, that's, I mean, that's some of the ideas in DB Hammer's book. And like, may, I mean, maybe like, okay. So an obvious idea, instead of just throwing out 10% is you start at 1% and then you work up the amount that you fatigue. So you're ready to go. Like that's a, a very unstupid way to think about it. Like, especially if I'm building pitch counts, like on a starter, okay, I have, you know, seven uh, high intensity days before the season. Like in all of my live sessions, I will throw live with adequate amounts of, you know, pitch rest between until I fall off today, 1%. Right. 
And it starts at like a mile an hour. Mm. And then it's 2%. And then it's 3%, 4%. Or you could fucking wave load it. Be really smart. Hmm. Then you go 1%, 2%, 3%, 1%, 4%. And then, you know, you, it's like wave. Woo. That'd be a really smart way to do it. But, mm. you know. I mean, we're just we're just talking here. Yeah. Here, I have a question. This yes. Is more <laughs> theoretical, not theoretical, but let's say you have an athlete and you're just trying to build the best thrower, like the perfect thrower. And Johannes better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. But like, yeah. I'm dreaming. That's your ideal athlete, right? Yeah. Let's say you just have like. You have a fucking athlete. He's a limestone. You know what I'm saying? You're the fucking, like, chiseler and shit. Yeah. Um, as you, like, how would you train, like, each body part from, like, you know, the How beginning? old is he? Yeah, that's, like, the question. Let's say you have him from, he's 15 years old. Okay. Just started training. Like, how would you train the pec versus the core versus the legs versus, you know, the lats? And then from, like... <laughs> no, 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 no! I'm not putting my hand heads in my hand because it's a bad question. I'm just putting in my heads in my hand because I'm thinking. Yeah, just going from like GPP to like all the way to like the ends of development. And you have this guy from like 15 to 25. Like, what does that look like? And maybe let's just like think about like one body part. Let's like think about like the pec. And like, how's what? Like, what's that responsible in the like the throw? Like, what's like its function? And then how do we train that to optimize like its function in the throw? Like. My thought just goes back to like, what is he when I get him? Like, it depends. Like, if he's neural, like neural duration dom, mm-hmm. like has prerequisite amounts of strength. Like, I'm gonna train him to be fast until he is fast, and then he needs more neural dom, neural duration work, and then I'll simultaneously while I'm doing all of those things, I'm also training neural magnitude. So I'm always training power, and then it's just like, is the other emphasis on speed or is the other emphasis on strength? Mm-hmm. Interesting. But then the other emphasis is. Like, what is the responsibility of that part during the throw? And then it's like, okay, like, my pec, like, definitely, like, eccentrically lengthens at times. And then, like, it also isometrically contracts. And then probably when it shortens, like, is during an inconsequential part of the throw. Like, the follow-through. Mm-hmm. Like, that, like, the fo- what's going on in the follow-through, like, I have, I, I, I mean, having a bad V-cell is bad. But, like, that's a result of everything that's happened before. Probably, although there is some talk about you know, my guy, my guy on Twitter, E Martinez ninety seven, Emilio Martinez. He's talking about how like backwards chaining. He's rediscovering backwards chaining, which I think is fucking hysterical. Um, but he's putting out good stuff, and he's he's talking about how like the the thought that the beginning of the throw impacts the end is actually incorrect. So he's he's rediscovering the fact that the end of the throw is more important than the beginning, which is funny. Um, but uh, also there's some literature out there that humans actually learn better in forwards chaining, um, not backwards chaining. So I don't actually know what to think about that. Uh, maybe maybe chain backwards for mechanical changes and then change forwards or chain forwards when you're trying to teach someone actually how to throw. Um, that's just one of my thoughts. But uh, okay, what was I saying? Oh, what each body part's doing. Yeah. Okay, you just have to look at like the important positions and. Like, what are the demands of the sport? Like, what is right. what is demanded of me? Like, that, that's a Zach Dakin 101. What are the demands? How do I build an athlete to meet these demands? If I, like, you can train the pec to be elastic all you want, but if, like, if their pec isn't ready 
to lengthen and catch like a hundred times in a row and you want them to be a starter, like it's not going to go well. Hmm. And so I think there needs to be a definite balance of what does he need and what does he need to do? Like I need, like for instance, I know I need neural duration work. Like I, I just look at me. I'm six, six to two sixty, pretty much. Like I'm, I'm a big boy. Like there's no way I don't need neural duration or neural rate work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would train that the whole time until I got better. Like there's still and like then I like would maintenance on like magnitude and like uh, yeah like neural like I would, I would obviously like micro sample you gotcha. know like like neural duration work but at the same time like I know that strength doesn't fall off for 27 days. Right. Right. Like I I know that. And I mean period. if you believe some of the old Russian literature which you should you should believe <laughs> the Russian literature I used to shit all over it and I was a dumb dumb boy. But uh, that's because I thought I knew everything and I knew nothing. I, those doctors in Russia know everything. They know more than you. Don't ever second guess them. Um, I'm just kidding. Some of them don't know anything. It's a very tricky slope. Um, but the point is... there's a camera to see. Uh, yeah. The way you go about this. Yeah, I am. Because it's an important thought. Like, like, dude, like, I'm sorry. Yuri Verkashansky will know more about exercise than I ever fucking will. And that is sad. Like the amount, like you want to talk about a guy with autism. It might be your. <laughs> like I gotta believe that that guy fucking has autism for the amount of fucking books he wrote. Fucking super training is yeah. three inches thick. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. And um, have you ever read Transfer Training? Long ago in a galaxy far, far away, yeah. when I didn't understand half the words that were in it. But yeah, I read it. Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah, more, more like ninety percent of the words. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think every. I, it's really hard because it's like those are the best books to read in the world, mm-hmm. I think. But like getting through any of them is like, like it makes me want to take a bath in my toaster. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, it's not very interesting when it's like when it's like the meometric. Like fuck, I'm already lost. Like I know that means concentric, but like just say concentric. Like I get it. That's not what's actually happening. It's a pleometric contraction which means lengthening but we're just saying eccentric and then plyometrics also mean eccentric so things aren't plyometric like i fucking get it just say what the common word is <laughs> like it's it's so bad and then i forgot what i was saying oh uh, wait wait I, I still forgot wait, we're going back to the kid that you can optimally oh talk. that's right <laughs> i kind of forget how this relates well you're talking about like you yourself where it's like i need a lot more like oh yeah there. train what you need and then you know I was talking about, yes, I was talking about the Russians and then the the amount of days it takes to fall off. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if I need neural duration, like, I still want to maintain my strength levels. Like, I probably only need to sample my strength, like, my max strength levels once every 27, 30 days. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it's way longer than people think it is. Mm-hmm. Like, a, one strength workout once a month, pretty much. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, if you have good prerequisite qualities, one of them is strength. I mean, it's it's it would be a lot harder if you're. Actually, no, it's not because if you're neural rate dominant, you're just going to do well with conventional strength training methods. Yeah, like it's going to be perfect for you. Like yeah. we run outside, we sprint. Here's your micro sampling, which we can. We, okay, you're just going to go outside and sprint, and then you're going to come out, come inside and lift heavy. Like that's perfect for you. That's exactly what you need, as long as like you don't fuck up your anatomy too hard. Which sounds like one of your guys did. Yeah. yeah. But 
beyond that, like as long as you like st- stay in your normal figure and don't put on, you know, forty pounds and you're a super bouncy athlete, like why would you not just stay like that, and mm-hmm. get stronger, and then do better? Mm-hmm. But my question is, is like we've talked about neural confusion before. I'm kind of I was kind of out on it back then, but like I don't know how to feel. Like, do you guys believe in like neural confusion, like only being able to well, train like two qualities at once? I like d- like like because that's not how like I know. You don't? Well, this is, this is what I was saying, right? Like, uh, everybody talks... So, okay, hold on. Sorry, Matt. The sure. neural confusion is literally, like, I can't train neural duration and neural speed in the same session, or neural rate in the same session, because then the body becomes confused, and it doesn't know what to adapt to. That's what we're about to talk about. Yeah. So, like, that was something before that, I, like, I went really gung-ho, like, about, where it was just, like, I have to separate my, like, training sessions by four to six hours. So, like, I would sprint in the morning, and then I would have, like... Uh, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's really strength and hypertrophy driven, like lift, like at uh, 8 p.m. Because I sprinted at 10 a.m., et cetera, et cetera. But then you think of it over the course of a year. And like, when everybody talks about the transference effect or whatever, they always think about like how like they uh, negatively affect each other instead of like seeing like how some things can like synergistically like have a positive like uh, adaptation like with each other. And then yeah, also, well, I mean, if you look at post-activation potentiation, like, right. Running fast potentiates for lifting weights heavy. Mm-hmm. Like they work together. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, right. Like I, the, like over like the course of a year or two, like, yeah, like there, I maybe if I separated these sessions out or I had like a day for these specific things and whatnot, I would like make uh, a bit more, you know, gains like in that direction, which I was like trying to like, uh, you know, cause adaptation, sending like really clear like signals to my body, like what I want to adapt. But over the year, like if I'm just like training everything concurrently and like, as we talk about like, what is like optimal versus like what is possible? Like if I'm training all these things concurrently, like maybe I get like 80% of whatever I wanted from each adaptation. But in the course of the year, like I'm getting a lot better with a lot of these things and I'm able to train these things a lot harder, a lot more often to like the degree which my body can like recover from. And like, uh, and then again, that's more of that like hybrid, like concurrent, like approach. And I think that's just like, if you're thinking of like this long, slow cook, like approach and like developing an athlete, like over the course of like one, two years versus like, I got three months with this guy. And like, there's this one like adaptation or a few adaptations like that. I really need this guy to get like, I don't know. I think the, uh, not fucking hyper obsessing about like the transference effect and all that shit. Um, probably like in your best interest. Hmm. Interesting. What you got, Charles? I, uh, the, most of my thought processes just come from my experience and with that, like what you say. And that like, recently like, I've been sprinting a lot um, and that's like an area that I really neglected for a really long time. Um, and in all my lifts for strength after that, I felt like I got stronger as a result of all the sprinting that I've done. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I mean, I'm just thinking a lot here. I've never done this, but you could start the week off with speed and then move into, you know, speed and power. And then then later in the week you go power and strength. And then that would allow you to like do still do like explosive exercise after, because I mean, on the speed days, you can also lift up to, you know, 75% of a one RM. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe you just contain those like percentages at a, at a level that, you know, would actually limit, you know, neural confusion or whatever the fuck you believe in. Interesting. And then, you know, on the on the power days, you know, you start with speed 
you train power and then you end with strength like and then each one potentiates for itself in the middle days and then on the on the last day well except you know that's really uh, that's a really quick turnaround for speed mm-hmm. so I mean you just I feel like there's an answer in there maybe you could have one day for speed one day for power one day for strength and you could try to you know figure out a way to train the full body and yeah I mean, that's that's really tricky to do yeah no it's like uh, a program where you have, like, one quality for, like, each day is, like, tough. It's not, like, super robust. Like, no. if you think you're training, like, an athlete, like, they miss a day. They get sick. They beat to shit, and they, like, skip that day and whatnot. And now you just, like, if you have, like, if you just, like, leave one day for an athlete to train, like, this one quality, like, uh, there's a lot of room for error there. Yeah. Um, as well as... Um, That's why I'm, I'm kind of in on, like, months, like, emphasis of months. Like, that. I know that kind of takes the periodized approach, but, like... Mm. Like, if I'm training for a year and I'm not playing, like, why would I not go speed, power, like, speed emphasis month, power emphasis month? But then that goes back to, like, you're not training what you need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think over the course of those years, the adaptations do build up. Like, if you are training everything concurrently and, like, uh, I mean, just, like, think about it. Think if you have, like, one day just full of, like, all these, like, plyos and it's just, like how like how much can you like what if you go over the threshold from your like what your tendons can like recover from and then you're not like ready for your monday which is like a power and strength day or whatever the fuck it is versus like um and then like also it's just like the frequency approach like the more often you touch on like let's say elasticity and you have like that microdose in a few days and maybe one day it's emphasized a little bit more than the other but you have that like throughout like uh you're tra- let's say train three times a week and it's in each one of those sessions like that's probably like a better way to approach that and recover and handle from like the stresses and stimulus versus having just like here's my <laughs> one fucking two hour long like elastic day um yeah and yeah but i don't know i think that's like why right now like um where i was like like let's you know so like charlie and i are running berserk and like how i'd program like athletes before and it's we honestly we're like we're just like experimenting like there's all this shit out there and it's just like how can we like yeah, like what methods and like what way of like programming and periodizing is going to give like the best results for like these athletes, like, you know, yeah. KPIs and like the KPI is like obviously like MPHs, so, like we train mostly pitchers and then combat athletes, which is like uh, whatever. But we're just, let's talk about just like fucking like throwing velocity and like, uh, yeah, yeah, like the traditional like linear like periodization approach. Like how many people that like that's like perfect for is like a very small like uh, percentage. But like as we started training more factors concurrently, like we were able to like. It, like maybe you wouldn't see like these fucking like crazy ass gains like in like one month but over like the, like hey we had this athlete for six months like we're seeing like you know fucking good shit yeah. like big shit with them and uh yeah as well as like <laughs> less uh negative like uh you know maladapted like right. adaptations like like we're like well this dude just needs a shit ton of fucking strength right now yeah. And we just, like, go hard on strength and whatnot. And, like, dude's, like, compressed as fuck. Yeah, or, his spine's all fucked up. Yeah, whatever it is. Bro, people sleep on compression leading to TOS. Too much compression. Hmm. I've seen a lot of dudes, like, do, like, work at school and get really compressed. And then hmm. fucking come out with TOS because just their rib cage is so tight. Mm-hmm. And every muscle is so tight. Well, I, I'm really curious. Like, what, like, how do you go about, like, uh... Yeah, it got somebody got overly compressed. Like, how do you go about like expanding them? Like, uh, breathing for starters. Mm. Uh, definitely. Like, uh, I'm not a big PRI guy, but some PRI concepts are very helpful with like learning how to like inhale and exhale correctly, and like mm-hmm. especially 
I think too many people breathe through their mouths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big emphasis is that like low key, that's something that I used to never notice, but now that I'm older, like dude, people, people just breathe out their mouth and that's just not what's supposed to happen. Yeah, we notice it a lot at the gym. Yeah. Like tape, tape your dudes mouth shuts. Mm-hmm. Like that's easy gains. But, uh, or was I going, oh yeah, teach them to breathe, teach them to expand their rib cage, teach them to compress their rib cage. Like, if they're too compressed, it's because they can't expand. Like, that's a really good place to start. Like, I don't necessarily believe that PRI is a long-term solution. Right. Like, it doesn't place enough stress on the system that causes long-term adaptation. Yada, yada, yada. Whatever. But that's a good place to start. Another place I like to start is, like, just unloading them for a little bit and letting them move. Mm. And just, like, doing like freeing up their ROM. Like I'm not a big believer in stretching, but just like getting on the glute hand and like figuring out like, okay, like my shit's really tight. <laughs> like what is tight and why? Like has it always been this tight? And just like doing exploration, especially if they're an older athlete, like mm-hmm. they, they should know. Mm-hmm. Like if, like I'm at 23, like I know like what my hamstrings feel like. like I know. Like I'm, I'm aware of how much T-spine rotation I have on a day where I'm really limited. Like, I know that I have to free it up until it feels normal. Mm. And so, but things can happen over the long term where they become chronically compressed. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you kind of have to sadly do your job as a coach and be like, okay, you know, you have 10 degrees of T-spine rotation on your non-dom side. Like, we're going to get that up to 30 because we know it should be at least 30. And then, you know, you have to, you have to figure out which ways that they need to, you know, expand or... Because there are two types of movement, compression and expansion. All types of beings generate this amoeba-like movement. If you compress one area, you expand another. And so going off that train of thought, which, you know, Bill Hartman, shout out, and uh, uh, Pat Davidson. I need to read his new book, by the way. Hmm. But uh, Dr. Pat Davidson, it's like, so you have to figure out where the expansion is happening. So if they're compressed everywhere... Like that's not that's not the case. Like they have to they have to be expanded elsewhere. Right. Because when I tense my rib cage, other things expand. And so is it just my rib cage that's compressed? Like maybe, but you, that's up to you to figure out. Mm-hmm. And you know maybe getting the rib cage into a better. I mean, always start with the rib cage. Get the rib cage into a better position. Rib cage function dictates pretty much everything else. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Very cool. I mean, that's like Connor Harris PRI shit, but sometimes it does matter. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jared Slater, he put out this 10-minute talk on PRI and throwing, which could be a helpful resource for some. But, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of out. I'm kinda, I'll say it. I'm kind of out. Kind of out. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think PRI and, you know, the Bill Hartman stuff, like, like, I don't really care that throwing is a propulsive movement. Like, I don't care. Like, it's it's no good. And, and it doesn't really impact how I train guys at all. Uh, because, I mean, I don't really care about propulsion or... Like, it doesn't change how I impact, the, how I view the throw. It doesn't change how I train my guys in the weight room, really. Like, we all expand. We all compress. That's good. Some people are compressed. Some people are not. Let's turn them the other way. Like, how is that any different from any, – it's just a different name of, like, what I already know about 
Some guys being strength dominant. Some guys are being elastic dominant. Some guys are rate dominant. Some guys are strength dominant. Or some guys are duration dominant. Some guys are compression dominant. Some guys are expansion dominant. Like it's the same. Everyone's talking about the same stuff. And it's cool that there's like a early, you know, propulsion phase, late propulsion phase in the throw. But like we already have names for that. It's called leg lift. It's called the pickup phase. It's called the hand separation. It's called like it. You're just giving it new names and it's not doing a better job at defining what the thing is. So I'm not going to use that definition. Like I'm not going to use the late proposal. Like I'm not going to say that. People will be like, you don't know what you're talking about. This sounds lame. You're a nerd. I am. I am. <laughs> but that's, but that's a completely separate topic that we're not talking about right now. What we're talking about is that those terms aren't useful. So uh, it's a different question. Just I'm going to talk about you and Liam. Um, if that's all right. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, no, I hate a, that guy. Don't talk about him. <laughs> you had a pretty cool transformation with like Liam and then like, uh, uh he was your first athlete, right? Yeah. People um, forget people, people really do forget. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like Liam was like, got up to what? 99 or whatever. 98, 99, 98, 98, 98. Don't give me 99. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you didn't earn it. Someone, someone like Liam, like, uh, and now with the lens that you have now also versus like the, as well, the lens as you had as you were like training him to like, you know, throw harder. What were like some of the things that like you tried, you experimented that you thought would like work versus the things that did work. Also, like if you, you know, were looking back at your former self and like, you've been like, Hey, former clay, don't fucking bother with any of this shit. This is how you're going to get Liam to like go from low nineties to upper nineties. Yeah, so when he was with me the first time, he was doing, I mean, there's only been, I mean, I say the first time because we've had our, not our ups and downs, but just like him going to tread and then tread taking, you know, credit for him throwing (laughs) cheddar cheese. And I, uh, and I'm just like, dude, he was already throwing this hard, Um, which, you know, shout out to my tread homies. Just kidding. There are none. Um, All right, for those of you who don't know, I almost got thrown out of their facility. Matt remembers. Matt um, remembers. Matt remembers. Matt was Clayton's friend. Yes, Matt, Matt was my friend. Thank Did you, you, Matt. Did you get into it with Cohen or something? Or? Matt, what happened? You, uh, were, you were a third party. You were a third party. Uh, Just give me the brief, brief rundown. Okay, I'll give you the brief rundown. Um, Clay was a young, new, excited... He was he was so happy to be at I was, Tread. I was a young buck. He was a young buck. He was so happy to be at Tread. He was so excited. He was like... You know, he's 19 years old, and he's like, ah, you know. Teed up. Yeah, really hyped up about Paul, and, like, he's like, you know, all the training methods and the things that we're doing. And Clay has a very uh, dominant and, like, very extroverted personality, uh-huh. and uh, it can rub some people the right way. It can rub some people the wrong way. Me and Matt got along great. We go to the great. park all the time yep. and just, like, fuck around, like, yep. explore different movements and whatnot. Yep. Like learning how to like do little fucking half backflips oh, and I shit. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. You thought that being at, doing a backflip was gonna help you throw harder. No, I just thought it was cool. Uh, I, he like, thought it was gonna help him throw harder. Yeah. Let's not, let's, we we don't lie to each other. You thought it was gonna help you throw harder. Don't worry, I learned how to do a cartwheel because I thought it helped me throw harder. Let's let's all be honest here. The real answer question is, can you still do one? Oh, dude, I could do a twenty second handstand right now, cold. Nice. Like I I've got it in the bag. Like I, I learned how to do a handstand. Like I, I learned. 
That's what's up. Yeah. But yeah, no, uh, they basically, um, Clay had like a very like out there personality and he'd like, like to hype himself up for like high intensity days. And I used to say the F word a lot. Really, really. <laughs> I like being all political and nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, Clay's like, I'll be saying stupid shit. Yep. No, but, uh, um, just the environment and tread and like that they had just really wasn't like conducive to like his personality, which was like a shame because like. Clay was extremely excited there, but I also understand, like, you, you have a company, you're just, like, opening it up to, like, uh, you know, in-person things, so, like, you have some sort of, like, uh, guest culture you're trying to establish. It was just very, like, a do-it-on-your-own, like, kind of, like, head down, like, keep quiet type of culture, and, uh, yeah, not, not, that's not conducive for everyone. It was just more so some of the people that worked there. His personalities, like, clashed with Clay's, and, like, there was just, like, this... Tanner Rekalikas said, and I quote, <laughs> if you steal any of our stuff when you start training people, I'll sue you. <laughs> or, not, maybe maybe not I, but we'll sue you. So that was a fun conversation. Um, but, yeah, so, moving on past that, that's why I didn't like Tread. Why were we talking about that? Oh, Tread? Yeah, why were we talking about why I didn't like Tread? Dude, I don't I know. I was just curious. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. just went into the conversation. Yeah. What were you even talking about? Dude, I don't remember. <laughs> oh, hey! Gosh, Charlie. No way. Dude, you have two guys with, like, bad ADHD. Yeah, I might, I might actually have to autism. I have ADHD and autism. Dude, come on. All right, hold on, hold on. We'll see what we were talking about before so we don't sound stupid. I might also cut the, cut the part about Tanner. So, with Liam, getting back to that. With Liam, what I did was... I just tried to bulletproof his elbow. Mm. Like, he was coming back from the internal brace surgery. Yeah. Mm. And Done so, that, been there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was throwing, like, 87 and 91. Yeah, it's pretty brutal, dude. And it wasn't, like, going good. Yeah. And I was in my room in Charlotte, North Carolina, feeling sad for <laughs> myself. Uh, as we previously just discussed why. <laughs> and I was like, I was hitting Liam up every day. I was like, Liam, bro, let's train. Come on, dude. And he was like, nah, dude, I'm doing this driveline program. Like, Terry's going to get me right. I'm like, Liam, bro, <laughs> let's train day after day. Day after day. And then finally one day he hits me up. He's like, fine, I'll yeah. do it. And I'm like, okay, I can't fuck this up. <laughs> like, he, like I know. Motivator. I know he can throw hard. I have seen him do it. It's not very hard to make him throw hard again. And I was like, what is preventing him from throwing hard? I was like, well, his elbow. Like, everything we did, this is before impulses were cool, so we were not doing impulses. <laughs> also, I, I, I still don't know if I'm in on impulses. We talked about this before we started recording, but I'm kind of out. Um, but we For did. Now. Huh? For now. For now. Yeah, maybe I'll come back, but I doubt it. Impulses are tight. Dude, I, I feel like. That's how me and my buddy like tore our leg rims. Like, <laughs> I'm, like I, I think I don't know. I don't know. We're, I, you know, it's it's pretty hard to pull on a rope and then get hurt and be like, yeah, that was a good idea. So, uh, moving on. So his limiting factor was definitely his elbow. I was like, okay, like when he throws. I mean, even still, like his arm path is not clean. Like he was releasing the ball with like, you know, seventy eight. Like, like it was. It was like he was releasing the ball at 90 degrees. That's not that's not really what was going on, but it was like that. Like, you're getting a clear picture. It was probably, like, 120 degrees of elbow flexion, which, like, forearm fly out, yada, yada, yada. Like, not many dudes that throw gas release the ball with a super bent elbow. 
And it was like it was like he was protecting his elbow when he was throwing. At least that's the vibe that I got at the time. I don't know if that's really what was happening. Because, you know, he was in Australia, I was in America, and he would velo at night and he'd text me and then I'd wake up and I'd be like Christmas. <laughs> so it was like awesome. Cause he just threw harder all the time. And then but the one thing that we really did that I think was genius was we trained to be bouncy, which he needed. And we would that look like? Uh back then. I was in on Cal Dietz's stuff a lot. Okay. So we were doing triphasic. We were doing ISOs, which is good, and eccentrics a lot, which was good. And then we did reactive stuff besides that. So I think I stumbled upon, you know, a good program in my <laughs> in my dumb, dumb ways. Because I was like, oh, this is good. And then, you know, I didn't know that eccentrics and isometric muscle action dominated sport <laughs> uh, but i was like oh you know liam needs more isometric work because he's like super strong concentrically i bet he's weak eccentrically and isometrically and i bet he was like i don't exactly remember but like i gave him that stuff and i gave him reactive stuff and like we couldn't test because i was poor and i couldn't send him training equipment and he was poor and he couldn't buy training equipment and we didn't do any assessment work other than how hard do you throw now versus how, <laughs> how hard do you throw did you throw before? Um, but I mean, he's he, like he was doing stuff like he was he was lifting his mat like his old PRs like without ever training concentric muscle action, mm-hmm. which is tight. Anytime you do that, your training's probably working. Mm-hmm. Won't lie. Um, and he was like we were sprinting a lot. And How often would you guys sprint? Uh, three times a week, twice a week, three times, three a, times week. a week, three and times. How, that, that was another question I have for you. Like, what's the volume of that sprint? Until uh, you drop off. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's that. I mean, he didn't have a timing system, so he would film himself, and then he would time how long it took him to cross his phone screen. Gotcha. And then he would look back on the video. And so and you're really only working top V, not like a ton of acceleration work. Uh, so Monday acceleration work, Tuesday top V. Friday, Friday backslash Saturday also top V, uh, because Monday acceleration work primes for the max V work later. Makes sense. Yep. And then, um, and then how did you like balance like the, uh, I guess the the stress and like the volume of like sprinting like and being able to recover from that was as in addition to like doing like high intensity throwing like would you have like your max V day and your high intensity throwing day yes. on the same day? Yes. Which one would come High, low system, dude. Gotcha. Uh, everything high is on the high day. Everything low is on the low Charlie day. Francis. Yeah. One of, the, one of the actual goats. Mount Rushmore for Clayton Thompson of strength conditioning track coaches. Charlie Francis. Uh, but yeah. Throw so first or- throw The most meaningful adaptation. The most meaningful adaptation always goes first. Yeah. That is what goes first. So, so if... Like, three. like this is why I'm kind of low key out on met balls before you throw, because <laughs> because the most meaningful adaptation on high intensity days is always the throw. Like I am, like anything I do, it is to get ready to throw hard. Like maybe they prime you, but like you got to be throwing those. Like if I'm throwing a med ball, I'm throwing it hard. Like maybe I shouldn't. Like I I want to touch. Like before I warm, like I warm up for max V. Okay, I do one build up sprint. To 95%. I don't go to 100%. I go to 95%. Then I'm done with my sprinting. Like, that is that is my warm-up for, like, a max max velocity, like, high-intensity throwing day. That is the last thing I do. It's like a max V sprint where I'm pretty much moving as fast as I can. I build up up to 95%. So my last step is 95% my 1RM on, on, 
on running. And then I move directly into my throwing warm-up. Whatever that is, bands, you know, whatever you think works, drop catches, whatever, whatever BS that probably doesn't work that you use to throw hard, to feel like you're ready to throw hard, do that. Okay? Newsflash, it, like, the only thing that matters is throwing. Anything that you do before, just make your shoulder feel good. Hmm. Uh, and then you do that, and then you throw. Okay? So maybe you're like me, and you need, like, two throws to get hot, and then you're ready to fucking <laughs> go. Like, that, that could be the type of guy that you are. I mean, just, just get ready to throw hard, and then throw hard. And then once you're done, you sprint, because that's the second most important thing. Third most important thing is any power... <coughs> any power exercise it's like whatever transfers to sport the most do that after you throw which in my opinion is sprinting then what's after that maybe med ball work because it's the patterns like throwing and it's power then what's after that maybe a trap bar jump what's after that maybe an actual trap bar deadlift and then what's after that hypertrophy and then what's after that some breathing and then what's after that i go home and take a shit and i go to bed <laughs> hopefully not in the bed no no, 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 no. Not again. Never again. No, not not even once. Okay, don't need to brag on the podcast. Not even once. <laughs> okay, so building after hypertrophy now, because that's another question I have. So, like, obviously hypertrophy and having some sort of mass is important. Yep. But how much is enough, and how often are we training that? And where where are you targeting hypertrophy? If you have- uh, upper body hypertrophy is not... Uh, stimulating to the central nervous system so it can go on a low day uh, and then so upper body hypertrophy and then I mean low body hypertrophy I mean you can you can kind of fit that in on a high day right at the end and then I mean get as big as you can while being as bouncy as you can mm-hmm. and if you're and if your bounciness goes away lose some weight and if it plateaus and you put on some weight, just train elasticity again. And if it doesn't go up, then maybe consider losing some weight. Just, you know, attack it like you would anything else. Like, right. if not A, try B. If not B, try C. If not C, try A again. Gotcha. And then if none of that works, I mean, maybe you just weren't bested to do it. <laughs> so back to the Liam uh, yeah. discussion. So, uh you have him sprinting, you have him throwing like high intensity, like on the same day. You have like a big emphasis on bulletproofing uh, the elbow. Yeah, bulletproofing the elbow, just yeah. like making sure that he can handle like. What does that look like? Hangs, depth drops, plyo push ups, anything reactive with the upper body, catching stuff. Uh, you know, just the basic, the basic get ready to accept force type action. Alternating hangs, hangs, one arm hangs, for time, building up the strength in the forearm. Just trying to get everything around the elbow as strong as possible. Oh, that's why. Okay, I, people don't remember this, but Liam actually retore his UCL and still has a torn UCL to this day. Um, and he's just asymptomatic. So he had symptoms when he started with me, and now he's asymptomatic. People forget that's my most important achievement. Not how hard he throws. The fact that he throws hard and his elbow doesn't hurt and his UCLs in shambles. <laughs> People That's forget. Cool. People forget because he he went to the doctor and they were like, "Oh, it's torn." And then he decided to sign up with me because <laughs> he couldn't do it with a healthy. He couldn't trust me with a healthy UCL. All right, I miss you, Liam. I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Sweet. Um, <laughs> so th- sprinting three times a week. Yeah. Um, you have like 
all the different force like drop acceptance stuff you're doing with his arm. Yep. Et cetera, et cetera. The hangs. What uh what what is like the bulk of his like let's say like lifting look like? Um It was the tr- basic knockoff triphasic. Okay, got you. Sweet. And then some peaking stuff mixed in. Gotcha. So like for sure makes sense. And how often would he train? Like on the week? Four times a week. Gotcha. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. What about Liam? Where it's just like, why Why does Liam throw hard? Like, why does this person specifically build how he is? Like, why does this person throw like mid-upper 90s? Uh, he sequences well for the ROM that he has. Um, right now, I don't believe that necessarily improving ROM is better for throwing hard. Why? Because, like, if I throw a ball 10 million times, which I might do in my lifetime if I'm a baseball player, right. like... My body is going to make my specific adaptations to impose demands. Mm-hmm. Said principle. I am always adapting to every single stimulus in my life. And if one of the most common things is throwing a baseball and I don't have any left hip IR, like maybe it's for a reason. Like maybe I don't need that left hip IR. Maybe I don't have left hip IR because that helps me block sooner. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it helps me hit my hip block sooner. So I don't have freaking 170 degrees of pelvis rotation I have to get around in order to reach my block, which is probably the most important thing for transferring force ever. And so maybe it's maybe it's a structural adaptation and then people stretch it and then, you know, they, I, I mean, kind of out. I think you need to be able to center your joints in their sockets. I think you need to have good posture. And then I think you need to be able to extend your, I think you need to be able to move your spine in three directions. I think if you can't do any of that, that's bad. But, you know, I can't really touch my toes, and I'm not going to spend, you know, 10 years trying to mess up my hamstrings and do a, do front splits. Like, I mean, why do I need to do front splits? Like, I'm, I've already adapted. I, you know, Liam was 21 years old. He'd thrown a ball for ages, and his body has adapted to the stimulus. Like, it, it just has. I mean, for instance, humoral retroversion. All of us have it. We all threw. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to sit here for 10 years going, oh boy, where did my IR go? <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like, that's a stupid example, but we do the same thing with our hips. Sure. Like that, that it happened for a reason. Like maybe just lean into it. Like as long as your hips are centered in the pelvis, like, and you can, you can move without pain. Like chances are you're fine. Hmm. You're fine. Like who cares if you can't, you know, have, if you don't have your 15 degrees of pelvis rotation, like, what do you even need it for? Like, are you really going to use those 15 degrees in your throw? Like, no, it's just going to go away when you reach high velocity. And you're going to go back to what you were already doing before because that's what your body knows and has adapted to. Hmm. And, I mean, I've kind of come full circle on a lot of these beliefs. And I'm kind of going back to my roots here. Um, but, essentially, the reason why Liam threw hard is he was stronger than piss. Like, still, still kind of is, but less so. Um, but he was strong, he was fast, he was powerful, and he sequenced well for the ROM that he had. Some, he didn't move very well, but that's literally because maybe he has 130 degrees of shoulder ER in his throwing arm. And, you know, we spent a lot of time on that because it was like, damn, he, he needs more flop. And I think he still might, because <laughs> I, ER, is, ER is one of those things you probably need. Like, it's not like you don't have ER. Like, if you don't have ER, it's okay. It's not like hip IR. Like, you probably need ER to throw hard, like, especially with how important occlusion is at high velocities. 
like, and you occlude the ball when you ER more, like, it's probably, so you hide the ball, so ah. occlusion, so, like, if you have 180 degrees of flop, like, you're hiding it from the hitter later in the, Interesting. later in the pitching delivery, so it's more important, yeah. like, hiding the delivery early in the, in the delivery, hiding the ball early in the delivery, not important, hiding the ball right before it comes out of the hand, very important, so if you have higher amounts of flop, the more you hide the ball later. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Makes sense, though. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And so, like, he just sequenced well. He's a tin man. and But he was my tin man. And he was <laughs> awesome. The sentimental romanticism. Yeah. But he was my tin man. Like, as velo days, did you do twice a week? Yeah. I heard sometimes you go, like, back-to-back days or something like that. Yeah. Oh, with him, he would, he would throw harder on back-to-back days. Yeah. Back-to-back days, maybe even triple days. So he then, threw hard. He threw ninety seven on his third day in a row, and you know maybe that's the DB hammer work again. You know the one percent fatigue. You can throw hard on one percent multiple days in a row. Hmm. People forget. Well, just following with that. So if you're doing three days in a row, are you like how do you structure that? So are you just going like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then like Monday like <coughs> nothing, or do you? I mean, we would just be low one day, and then. And then veal on the next day. And if you threw harder that day, you would get to veal on the third day. Oh, okay. Interesting. I mean, that's not the smart way. But that's what we did. And it worked. And then sometimes he was, he was playing the ABL. And it was like sometimes you would just go in three days in a row. Hmm. And then on the third day, you would throw gas. And he's like, why can't I do this on the first day? I'm a pussy. I'm like, you are a pussy. And he's <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Good talk. What we're going to do is we're going to veal six days in a row. So that first day should have carried over. Dude. Don't get me started. That might be a good idea. <laughs> Don't get me started. Don't get me started. All right. I have a case study for you. <laughs> yeah. Let's say there's this guy named Charlie Perkins. Sure. And he's not sitting across the couch. And he's not sitting across the couch. Sure. Let's say, let's say on the best day in his life, he's five seven and three quarters. Sure. So he's five seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So you you have this guy, Charlie Perkins, short guy. Uh, bigger guy, wide structure, um, super strong. How would I train Charlie Burke? How are you psychic? <laughs> no, that was just such a that was just such a leading question. <laughs> How would I train my boy Charlie? I, Charlie, what do you need? Are you are are you speed? Are you elastic? Like what? Like yeah, are you? I'm very strength dominant, so probably train what he needs, dude. Train mm-hmm. him speed. Lose ten pounds. He's one ninety five seven. Like bro, let's be one seventy probably. At five seven. Interesting. I mean, like I was, I got down to that point at one time, but I was just real scrawny. Yeah. Okay. But, maybe not one seventy, but like you know, like one eighty. Yeah. Well, I mean, wherever like you you maximize the bounce and you still have the juice, maximize bounce, maximize power, maximize reactivity, and then you still can you know hopefully touch your water arms as they are right now at one ninety. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it'd be close right now. Have you sort of been maintaining strength in my program. Yeah, I mean, test strength once a month. Yeah, make sure, that. make sure he, make sure he hits power. Yeah, make sure he hits speed, and uh, you know, test it, test it. Maybe, maybe, maybe once a month isn't enough because he's cutting weight. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's like once a week, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But definitely not every session. Right. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, like, when you use like more so special methods, right? When do you like to introduce that with people? Because uh, I used to be of like the train of thought, and actually I had this thought in the car where it's just like you save the most advanced thing for like when they're advanced. But 
Like, they never get there. No, also, yeah, the time timing is... Okay, so you guys read any of Nassim Tlaib's stuff? No. Okay, so he has this thing called the barbell theory. And so 90% of your training should be the stuff that you know works. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe not you know, but like, we've done this before. We, we are confident in this. 10% of it is the risk stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, 10% risk that maximizes gain. Okay, when I was when I was training Liam, it was like it was like we would velo only under load balls, like very. Why? Sorry, why would you give someone an underload focus? I, I know it's like a super. Because you needed to throw the underload target. No oh, right. Uh, huh? Is he like a great guy? Or? No, he's definitely neural duration. But I mean, he just he just needed to throw the underloads harder. Like I mean, it was just like he just didn't throw the underloads very hard. Yeah. I need to throw the underloads hard. What was like the uh, spread between like his? I don't remember, gadgets. but I just remember like, I mean, he would have days where he would only throw the underloads, only throw the overloads. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, definitely like throwing a three ounce ball like ten times in a row is like decently risky. Yeah. But then the rest of it would be like pretty standard, you know, like this is the drive on velo program, like it works with X amount of athletes, like blah 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 blah, and you know it would be very you know basic lifting like we talked about triphasic things that I know worked. And I mean, maybe that 10% like wasn't the reason why he threw harder. I don't believe that that was but like, this is for the record, this was four years ago. So I don't exactly remember like how each thing went. Like I remember we threw underload balls, but I don't remember like how long we did it for. I'm not claiming that that's smart. Like I'm not like, that's not my claim. I'm just saying like, that's like a risk thing. Like depth drops, like with a one arm, like that's, that's technically risky. Like you can get hurt doing that. Like impulses, you can get hurt doing those. So like, your training should incorporate like some of those aspects, not all of them, but some because they might work and they might be great, but they also might ruin you. So you don't want to sample them too heavily mm-hmm. because you want to maximize up, upside while minimizing risk. It's basic, you know, financial advice. Mm-hmm. And so 10% of your portfolio should make up risky assets that might go to zero or they might go to uh, 10 million. To the moon. <laughs> yeah. And then the 90%, you know, those, those are your, your blue chip stocks, you know. Fugazi, it's Fugazi. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Street, baby. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then... Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just because, like, uh, this is, like, different tangent, but, like, uh, something I was, like, thinking was just before. It's like, oh, you saved the super advanced stuff for... Yeah. Well, nothing super advanced, but, like... Like, let's say, think of an oscillation or you think of, like, a drop catch that you're going to rebound up. It's like, you can progressively overload those things. And so, like, you, like, that's, like, something, like, why would I save that for, like, I don't know, five years in the athlete? Because you can that? get the same benefits from 8 by 5 And then you can, you can maximize those super compensations because the initial gains are always going to be the most, like, the highest in potency. Like, I'm, right. I'm, I'm answering the question that you're asking. Yeah. Why would you save it? Yeah. That is why you would save it. Yeah. It's because the first time that I do a overspeed sprint, I will get the most adaptation from it. Right. I will never get that same adaptation again. I will right. get it in smaller, smaller doses every time. Right. That's why you save it. Yeah. That is why. Now, you know, if I'm thinking about the overall long-term athletic development of a 12-year-old, right? Like, I care about that a little bit. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to, you know, waste a bunch, a whole bunch of overspeed on them to right. get them to throw 75. Yeah. If I'm an 18-year-old nobody with no career, I'm going to do all the advanced things all at once in hopes that they work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like when, 
when you got someone that has no career, no future, and they want to keep playing, you just throw it at them. Because, you know, what if they get to, you know, play again? You right. Know? I mean, that's their dream. Yeah. You give them the, the, the shit that, you know, you, you give to the advanced guys. And then fuck it. Like, I mean, the, the downside is there's, they're on the same path they are now. Yeah. And then the upside is everything that they've ever wanted. And I mean, that's, that's when the rules go out the window a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like that 90, 10% stuff, like that's just for, you know, I'd say, I mean, not even, I mean, you won't even get 10% risk with, you know, $10 million prospect. No. Like, I'm just saying that's a general rule of thumb for how you put together something. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Gotcha. Running off the oscillations, though, um, I saw you did a post on them. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. With, like, very heavy oscillations. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so, uh, I'm curious, like, if the depth of the oscillations matters. So, like, specifically, specifically pertaining to, like, the pecs on, like, a bench. Like, if you had access to something where you could go a bit and access a bit deeper ROM that you think you access when you throw, would that transfer better? Or do you think it's kind of like ISOs where there's a little bit of degree of freedom where it's close enough and it will transfer? Yeah, so... When I do ISOs, I really care about the critical joint configuration to steal from DB Hammer once again. So it's just the point in your range of motion that is the weakest. It's where the lift fails. And for me, I never fail when my, you know, my pecs are maximally stretched. Like, I always get the rebound up every single time. It's, like, right, like, four inches off Mm, my chest. Interesting. That is my weakest point. It's not where I can use my elasticity. Like, that's... That's already where I'm stretched maximally, and I will get a stretch reflex, and I'll lift whatever I want. Like, I'm pretty sure I could, you know, if a car was on my chest, I could get a bounce a little bit. <laughs> like, I, a little. Like, I'm serious. Like, because, you know, like, if I'm maximally stretched, I can only contract. Like, I can't I can't go back any further. Like, that's, that's, that's Zach's thing, and he's absolutely right. If you maximally contract, the agonist maximally relaxes. So, or antagonist, whatever. The opposite side. Back. maximally relaxes if you contract the agonist the antagonist relaxes i'm sorry but so i care more about the critical joint configuration or the point of failure and so when i'm doing isos i only care about how quickly i can make the weight rebound up and then i relax mm-hmm. like whatever makes it stay in the range and i get as many oscillations pretty much as possible that is what i care about that's why I would care about the number of oscillations in a time period. I'm at the critical joint configuration. I oscillate back and forth. I count how many times. That's what I care about. That number. It's not the range. It's because then you're getting into different stuff. It's no longer an oscillatory isometric. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, a rebound or a REA or an RIA or whatever you want to freaking call it. I see like a lot of like RFI stuff, right? That, yeah. It's just like, obviously that's like neural rate training. Um, I, I guess, like, where I, like, struggle with, like, the most of the programming is, like, when you get into, like, the special, like, uh, special exercises or special, like, rhythm sets, uh, rebound reps, you know, programming, like, FDA or, like, RFI stuff. It's just, like, how much is, uh, how much is going to get, like, the adaptation that I, like, I want? Like, what is the volume that I need? Or if it's, like, you know, duration so, of time and whatnot. Yeah, the DB Hammer answer is until you get the amount of, fatigue that you want on that exercise okay so like if we're doing a db hammer lift four percent drop off for the lift you go until so you cycle them you do a performance pattern cycling 
which pisses me off because Cal says he invented that, but that's also in the best sports training book ever, which is bullshit. But you do one, two, three, four exercises. You do them in this exercise, in this order. You do them at one, you do two, then you do three, four, and then you go back to the top, okay? And then you test one again. Whatever fatigue you have on one, that only applies to one. That does not apply to the rest. So once one has 4% fatigue, if that's your fatigue for the day, you're done with number one. And then you do two, three, four. Then you fatigue uh, on three next. You throw three out. Then it's two, four, two, four. Gotcha. Fatigue on two. Then you're just doing four, 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 four until you hit 4% fatigue. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess how do you go about like the uh, long-term development of like uh, building someone's structure, like specifically the tendon, right? So like, is that like, uh, you know, training at long muscle lengths, long duration isometrics, uh, yeah, having just... I don't train long duration isometrics because they personally make me want to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the honest to God answer. Like, Dude, I they're wanna... so good though. Like, I don't care. Dude, I don't I, care. It's it's one of the best things. I don't care. Like, especially you get to the point don't care. shakes. Don't care. Overload their elastic track mechanism. Don't like... care. I cannot give that to an athlete. <laughs> I can't. I can't give it to another athlete. Like, I can't do athletes. it. Unless 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 you're watching, like I like, I understand. Yeah. I, yeah. I no. can't. I can't do it. Like I I can't. Okay. I know how badly they suck. Geneva Convention. <laughs> like I, I've, I've, I've done them. I've held a dip ISO for a ridiculous, like a top position dip ISO too, where you're engaging your shoulders and your straight arms. And I've sat there shaking for three and a half, four minutes. And the whole time I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking, this sucks. I hate this. Why am I doing this? I never want to do this again. I remember you voice text me that like through Instagram. This yes. He's like, I know to fucking rehab my labrum, I have to hit these fucking ISOs, but I don't want to do this shit, man. This yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it to fix my labrum. <laughs> like, that's how much they suck. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I get their great thing in baseline strength. But I think you can get the same benefits from just loading an ISO for 30 seconds. Like, just load the ISO, 30 seconds, you're good. Like, and then progressively load it. Yeah. Like, how would that not do the same thing? No, I agree. I agree with that. So, I think I'm way more down for that than sit here for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> because the tendon, like, tendon benefits, like, in Tura's program, like, I can see up to, like, two minutes. Like, two minutes, you should be able to do a two-minute lunch. That's fine. That's two minutes. That sucks a little <clears throat> bit, you know, but it's not, like, you know, two minutes goes by pretty quick. Yeah. Like, three-plus minutes is dicey. <laughs> dicey. And so... You're asking me about the long-term development of a tendon. Just train to be bouncy. Just gotcha. do elastic stuff. Yeah. Have some collisions in there. Different angles, different yeah. speeds. GPP it. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Just long-term athletic development. Do some, you know, dynamic systems theory, you know? Just varying forms of elastic energy transfer are good. Mm-hmm. And then make sure you hold some 30-second ISOs of varying loads for tendon health. Mm-hmm. And then... Vitamin C and collagen. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And some BPC on the side. Probably not. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. We don't condone that. Um, well, I guess not going in on your programming structure and knowing what people will do and want to. We talked about it a little bit before Matt got here with like length of a program, how long it takes. Like, how much does that affect your programming when you're like doing like, okay, I know this workout's going to take four hours. But this guy's not going to do it. So like, I mean, I never write, like I, all my workouts can be done in an hour. Mm. 
Like, because that's just, like, the realistic timeline. Like, if it takes longer than that, like, the, the number one most important thing is that my athletes do the program. Mm-hmm. If they don't do the program, why the hell am I writing? <laughs> it's a waste of everyone's time. Oh, yeah. We, we, we know about we that. We know about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because then you don't waste their time. You're also wasting your time. And, right. that, and then that makes me extra sad when I waste my own time. Because <laughs> then I can't blame it on anyone else. Yeah, so, like, how do you know you're, like, uh, like, uh, I'm sure you can resonate where it's, like, you have someone you really care about. Like, yes, this, and you want to fit everything in. You want to fit everything in. Like, how do you go about, like, taking out, like, you know, like, really just having the skeleton. Like, all right, here's the meat and potatoes. This will, like, you know, not being so married to, like, well, I know if I give him this, like, ISO or this special or et cetera, et cetera, like, that will make him, like, 0.5% better over the course. Like, versus, like, all right, I got to get something in, like, an hour. And then you're like, damn, this isn't the best program I could have, like, written. But, you know what I'm saying? As long as you're, like, making adjustments the next time, I think you're fine. Okay. Like, I mean, it's okay if your first program is not the best program. I think just make an adjustment for next time. And then what I try to do when building a program is, like, you know, four or five exercises, you know. And, I mean, if it's eight by five, then it's, like, two to three exercises or ten by three or whatever you want to do for hypertrophy. Uh, shout out Jake Tura. I just love I just love hypertrophy clusters. Um, I mean, they're 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 the go. Like you should you should cluster speed exercises. You should you should cluster everything. You should you should cluster it all. Um, no, they're so effective. They're clusters like for power. Like if you sit there and you take a rest for thirty seconds and then you go again, you are and you so say I have a VBT unit. And I'm doing everything at 0.1 or one meter per second, which is the classic speed cutoff. Okay. I go three reps and then I fall below one. So my set is done. I rest 30 seconds and then I go again and I get two more reps. I just accumulated two more reps in the same set at the ideal velocity that I want. That is good. And then I rest for three minutes, four minutes. Okay. I just accumulated two more high intensity repetitions. Ideal. That is ideal for muscle building. That is ideal for hypertrophy. That is ideal for power. Like that, like as long as you have something to measure by, like that is a great job. Clusters are the shit. They allow short-term regen of ATP that you can then use to get a little bit more juice out of your lifts. That is why clusters work. That is the overarching theme. But, um, that, okay, that's why I was talking about rest hypertrophy pause, clusters. Baby. Rest pause, master. Rest pause, rest pause, red light. Three more juice. Uh, bro, whatever. <laughs> Get that wooey wooey shit out of here. <laughs> Just kidding. I got red light at home. Don't listen to me. I, I, I red light my shoulder every night in hopes it'll fix it. But it never does. But it never does. All right. What was the question again? Uh, well, I was just so basically because uh, I'm more so kind of ending this at Matt. Where it's yeah. just like Matt struggles a lot of the time. Oh, to, with the whether what's he important. He's with this program. So he's yeah. gotten a lot better the more we've gone through it. Four main exercises, okay? And then, you know, you just have to choose what's important. Yeah. Like, as long as you touch top speed, you touch, just touch one of the things that you want. And then whatever you don't touch, it can be in the next program. Yeah. Because then, like, I guarantee you, like, those muscles are either being recruited reflexively, they're either re- being recruited, I mean, I guess any other word that I would use would encapsulate reflexive, but they're being recruited reflexively. And if they're not the main mover, just ensure they're the main mover next time. 
like just look back on your old program and be like, oh, like I didn't do any lat work last time. Like I should probably do lat work this time. Right. That's okay. That's just how it goes. Or you know that uh, the things that you're going for are overdeveloped or, you know, mm. just, just choose something to cut. Just trim the fat. Yeah. Always, always do less. Always do less. Never do more. Mm-hmm. The less you, the less you do is probably better. Mm-hmm. Microdose, like Charlie Francis, always, always didn't do a lot, mm-hmm. and he trained gold medalists, yeah. and I didn't. Yeah. No. Okay. So undertrain, don't overtrain, because if you undertrain, then you can just train more. Yeah. Like if you overtrain, you train once a week, and then you you can't walk for like four days, and then what yeah. was the point? Yeah. No. Yeah. Well said. Um, let's move to throwing just a little bit. Um, I guess like when you're assessing somebody for, like for the throw, like are there what are the key positions that you look for? Where it's just like, I guess like the attractors, right? Where yeah. it's Like these are like I need my athlete to hit this or, et cetera, et cetera. And then how do you go about like uh, <laughs> how do you go about like uh, I guess making changes for them to like hit those like uh, you know positions or whatnot. Whether that's like different drills, helping them organize to get in those positions, like, like how's how's your like eye like work for that? Uh, I'd probably say, just the most important positions in the throw, like we kind of already talked about, are just being stability, stability where energy transfer happens. Like I can't say it's like, like one specific metric or another because there will always be guys that break the mold. Mm-hmm. Like whatever whatever you see. But, I mean, moving, moving fast and being athletic is always one of the check marks. Like, if you don't move fast and you aren't athletic, like, you're not going to throw that hard, which is why all the big slow guys, like, tend to throw, like, 90 to 92. Like, your boy, I was big and slow, and I wasn't fast or athletic, and so I never figured out how to throw harder than 92. And being fast, being athletic is always something that you should, you should look for. And, I mean, the but the big things, the big other things are, is there some form of side bending in the throw, in the spine? Uh, if you don't side bend, it's probably not good. Uh, do they hit a block? Hip block, front leg block, whatever you want to call it. And then the the third one is, is does is their arm action smooth? Like is are there are there hitches? Like are there obvious problems in the arm action that you can identify? And then the fourth one is, uh, I mean, those are probably all. I mean, unless they're like direction, I guess maybe. Mm-hmm. Like that would probably be the the fourth easy thing that fifth easy thing I would look for. Mm-hmm. Like if you're if you're falling away, like not like every, every all your energy kind of needs to go into the direction of the throw and. I mean, maybe that's incorrect because in jab, like all their direction is going slightly like at like a 30, 40 degree angle away from where they're going. And then they, but they torque their bodies way differently because if you watch the jab, like compared to their, their body, the way their body goes, like for a, for a righty jab thrower, like they, they go left and then the jab goes straight. Yeah. Cause they have to like clear. Yeah. They clear everything. And so maybe that's not as important, but I mean, in baseball, you, you, I mean, I don't really think you see a guy that does that too much. Yeah. I mean, especially because we have to look at the target. Yeah. Hmm. And I also think there's a difference in like throwing uphill. Like, I feel like they have to clear because 
because they're throwing on a flat surface and they're throwing uphill versus like throwing down a mound and throwing straight like you you have that extra room like because the ground's like physically not there because you're going downhill so you don't need to clear as much i'd probably agree someone with the pushy arm action like what are some like like uh what's something you prescribe to them? yeah prescribe to define pushy arm action uh, like shoulder coming in like in front of the plane of their torso or yeah. I mean elbow coming in front of the plane of their torso uh, I mean is it all the time is it just in heavy balls is it all the, is time. It all the time I probably do like whenever I think it's a pushy arm action they're throwing with their arm not their body hmm. or something is wrong with their scaps hmm. so Pushing arm action like low elbow to me means throwing with the arm or depressed scapula. So that's those are the two things. So I do the the dead arm swings. I just progress into the club like into the Indian club with them, and then I'd I'd progress into different variations. And I'd try to just help them feel like throwing with the body and not with the arm. And that's something I really struggled with. I could never figure out how to relax my arm and generate whip. And I never got like I was just always so slow. My arm never had that, you know, that pop, that punch, that pizzazz, baby. <laughs> so. What's a throwing sack for? <coughs> I don't know. I, I don't really like the throwing sack. I, I, I don't like it. I don't like the connection ball either. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. They're, they just, they're like toys. Yeah. Yeah. They can definitely, <laughs> definitely see that. Yeah. I just like the sock because I'm lazy sometimes. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good enough reason, but I think if you use it for any other reason other than that, like, I mean I've I've heard some stories about potentially good ways it could be used, but uh, but I mean I'm kind of out. Just play catch, throw it into a net. Yeah. So. I wish I I wish I was able to work with Tibbs like one on one. Yeah, like that would have been great. Um, like a. I took like a bunch of his like he has like courses and out there and I think he has some really cool like uh, methods like uh, it's nothing like crazy but like uh, there's he has like these stretch reflex reps where it's just like you're emphasizing like the uh, basically go to like one and a quarter or one and a half reps but like you're really like partials pretty much you're emphasizing like the free fall like if you think of like you're doing so oscillatories it's not so much like an oscillatory it's like a regression of that it's just like really like uh, emphasizing like the the stretch reflex like the stretch that you get like at the bottom of the position I think that's really good like, I think it's cool. Like, it's a cool way to train people, especially people who, like, their whole career or, like, life, like, their strategy for, like, creating force is, like, proactively, like, you know, squeezing the muscle and creating stiffness. Whereas, like, this is, like, you're allowing that, like, reflexive action or you're allowing, like, the fucking, like, stretch and whatnot, like, propel, like, propel you and whatnot. And you're not, like, actively, like, squeezing or straining, like, you're fucking, you know, squeezing your bones and whatnot to produce, like fucking force like you're teaching yourself like a new way to like yeah one of the biggest unlocks that i think i heard or read about I, I don't exactly remember where was when you do like an oscillatory or a reflexive something or other like if you do a depth drop like the way you do a depth drop is like you should automatically return back to mm-hmm. like your not your like if i'm doing like a like a two-footed death drop like whatever i land at like, I shouldn't consciously cue this, but I, I immediately bounce up to, like, wherever, like, my strongest position is. Interesting. Like, that's that's a sign that, like, I'm ready for reactive work, mm-hmm. is if I naturally do that. I don't have to think about it. And reading, I forget, I think reading DV Hammer stuff, like, on a, on a quick rep, like, if you hold your arm out and then extend your tricep quickly and then relax it, like, my hand automatically returns to my shoulder. Mm. And 
I don't know if like that's how Dak like designs his quick reps, but it's like a very like mm. interesting thing. Like maybe like I I don't know. Like I I don't know if he knows that that happens or like I don't even know really if that is what's supposed to happen. Like maybe I know it's supposed to happen. And I right and I tell myself and then I automatically do it. Right, 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 right. So that's kind of what I get in this super dumb thinking about, but. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of shit out there, and I, I kind of like how you, like, just uh, simplify it to the, the fact where it's just, like, 90% of the shit that you do, you're going tried and true. Yep. That's, like, the basis of your, how you train someone. Like, you don't have to overcomplicate, like, oh, I want someone to become, like, uh, more fucking reactive and, you know, have them, like, sprint. Like, in yeah. elastic, like, I'm going to have them, like, sprint. Like, I don't have to, like, do this fucking... Uh, <laughs> banded like oscillatory split squat where I'm like you know etc cetera, etc cetera, where I can just like do this like the tried and true methods and then as you see those things like uh, level out or start to plateau that's when you like incorporate um, more of like the special methods but I don't know dude I think there's something to like inclu- like incorporating that shit like yeah you have the novel stimulus is like the most potent thing ever but you can like I don't know like uh, you see like fucking Brady with this like 315 like rebound bench press and it's just like uh, like he started like at uh, I don't know like one fucking let's say like one eighty five yeah and it's just like uh, it's more like it's pretty fucking stressful and it's just like is he getting better at the exercise or is he ah that's a good point that's a good fucking point that's that's you know like, yeah he's getting better at the exercise like for sure yeah um, like that's the point like like is he is he benching it more because he's getting better at rebound bench or is he getting more elasticity from his pecs right. Right. Like and that and I mean we'll never know. Like uh, when I say like the novel gains are the most important, like yeah that's true, but you know maybe they need those novel gains right now. Mm-hmm. Like like you just asked me to tell you why you shouldn't do that. <laughs> like that's that's why. If you're looking for the answer, like that's that's the correct one in my opinion. But like, do I necessarily believe that? Like no. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a time and a place for you know. Like, a, like, if you're training a, a seven-year-old, like, fucking don't have them do rebound bench. <laughs> like, bro, just have them go play outside. And then yeah. when they turn, like, you know, 13, 14, maybe it's like, oh, like, maybe here's what a back squat is, you yeah. know? Like, not necessarily because back squats are good. Maybe just because everyone should know how to do a back squat. Like, mm-hmm. here's an overhead squat. And then you teach them all the movements that they want to teach. And then you load them. And after you're done loading them, maybe you load them at a slightly lower weight. And then you move them fast. And then after you move them, uh, it just goes. Like, I mean, if you're thinking about overall athletic development, then it's probably more useful. If you're just trying to get someone to throw hard and they have no time to throw hard and need to throw hard tomorrow, maybe you just send it. Yeah, kitchen sink. And not kitchen sink. Shit you think works. Not not the kitchen sink. <laughs> just like this works for my high intent, like my old guys. This guy throws 82. He needs to throw 90 or his career's over. Organized kitchen sink. Yes. Yeah, not go. kitchen sink. Not the shit you don't know. <laughs> kitchen drawer. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, what, what hot takes do you guys have? Do you have any? Like, what what's something that you've been cooking up? Uh, oh, I, this is, used to be an old one. I don't know if I necessarily believe it, but I used to, like, you're not necessarily strong enough. You didn't hit, like... Uh, I agree with that, actually. Yeah. I don't think benching dumbbells for 100-pound dumbbells is that impressive. Yeah, yeah, no. I don't. I also don't think trap bar deadlifting four or five is that impressive. I also think the cutoffs are arbitrary that somebody just made up. Yeah, no. like I think it's I very think different for the guy. Yeah, yeah, very relative. Yeah, mm-hmm. like for me, like bro, like 
I, I, I dumbbell benching hundreds, like I'm not strong enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. also it's like once I hit one, like I should, like I dumbbell bench the 120s or 140s, like that's sick. I also need to be doing speed work. Oh, yeah. like, Here's my fucking hot take. Um, you moving better is not the key for you to fucking like throw. Yep. Like Guys that throw harder actually are less efficient. Yeah, like, I, I hate when people are just like, oh, I just have to move better. Like, it's just a movement thing. I think that's just, like, an easy cop-out um, to, like, not, like, fucking... <coughs> yeah, essentially, like, get after it. Like, push the fucking, like, yeah. barriers of, like, what's fucking possible. Like, I think there's a lot of things you can do on the S&C side and, like, training side. Um, aside from just, like, hitting your dry reps with your Indian club, like, in your room at night. Or, like, looking, like... Same thing with, like, fucking, like, watching video. Like, an extensive amount of, like, video on, like great pitching mechanics like i think that's like to to an extent like pretty fucking like wash like are people chasing like specific positions of like oh i have to find this position for me to throw hard i have to get like this much horizontal abduction or the you know or i have to ride the slide and this that versus just like chasing things that make you feel like hey do you feel like you're moving smoother does it feel easier on your arm is it coming out harder like yeah probably just do that like not really give a fuck about how my favorite is does the number on the gun go up yeah, pretty then much. Then you're moving better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Versus hitting like these positions that people said, like, yes. this is high-level mechanics. Yes. Yeah. You can suck my dick. Moving efficient. <laughs> I don't know. You, just, you, see that, you see that a lot in like, a lot of dudes where it's just like, yeah, man, like all I got to do is move better and I'll throw like 95. Like, what does that even fucking mean? Like, how do you even move better? Like, do you think you're just going to fucking cue yourself like through drills? And moving better, like, what, what, what limitations? Like, what is what is stopping you from moving on, like better? Like, are they limitations? Like in the weight room, are they limitations? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and when I say in the weight room, I'm not talking just about like strength numbers. Like, I'm talking about like, fucking everything. Yeah. What about you, Charlie? What you got? I don't really have any hot takes. I feel like I'm so moderate in so many things that I'm just like, yeah, okay, I see some things that I hear that are beneficial, but I'm not, like, super, like, hardcore against anything. Yeah, that's what people forget. You don't have to fully adopt, like, this DB Hammer shit that I'm on right now. Like, I'm not going to, like, do all of it. Like, I'm learning it, and, like, I'm talking about it because it's probably good to know. But I'm not going to, like, copy his program. Like, I'm going to take, like, the two or three things that I think are most valuable, and then I'm going to move forward with those. Like, I think if you throw out your program every time for a new one, like, you don't believe very strongly in things. And, you know, it's like uh, I heard the argument the other day, like, uh, spinal engine theory, like, I shouldn't lift. Like, oh, my ankles and my shit's going to get tight, so I can't move my spine, so I shouldn't lift. Like, no, no, move your spine and lift, dude. Like, if you just throw out everything for the spinal engine, like, Mm -hmm. you were lost. You're a lost boy. Like, Mm -hmm. come back to 8 by 5 Come back, come back to, come back to nothing matters. And I'm going to move fast. I'm going to run fast. I'm going to throw hard. I'm going to jump high. If you do those things consistently, if you jump high, run fast, throw hard, move weight fast, move weight slow. You do those five things for one year and you still throw slow. DM me, please, (laughs) because I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll do my very best. Fucking sometimes it's more important just to get after with the boys and have like yep, no 100%. environment. Yep, hundred percent. Like having the best, like it like builds off of throw like, the slowest in whatever throwing group you throw on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I'm I'm one million percent serious. Yeah, yeah. That's how you throw harder. 
Yeah. You want to compete. You want to be a dog. Yeah. 100%. That over uh, the fucking hottest fucking training like yep. that they'd like ever, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to steal that in a Twitter post tomorrow. Thanks, dude. Yeah, the hardest I ever threw was at Driveline. I was in Plyo Vila with Cameron Havens, a.k.a. Goblin, Carson Lindell, and me. And Carson Lindell threw 100, Cameron Havens threw 96, and I threw 88. <laughs> and I think I threw one ball 93, like a gray ball 93, maybe 94, and I threw my glove at a TV. <laughs> and I was letting him know. That's fucking dope. And yeah, that was, that was one of the hardest, hardest things I've ever thrown in my life. Like... That was it. Memorable experience, fucking positive fun, like all that good shit too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, have fun, train, have fun and train. Like if you do, if you have fun and train, like you'll get better. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Don't don't train by yourself. I think, mm -hmm. I think you you should not do that. You're gonna you're gonna get domed up by your thoughts. I I wish I didn't do that as much in my career. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's like the importance of training partners too, like. uh just like, yeah, having someone to get after it, like what, yeah. like that's fucking awesome. Yeah, that's now cool. that I train alone as a retired guy, like I'm getting fat because I don't want to train hard. <laughs> if there was someone training with me, I guarantee you, I'd, I'd train harder. Yeah, hundred percent, dude. Because I want to beat them and be better. Yeah, I do like that though. Fuck yeah, sweet. All right, that'll be it. Look at that, we did it. <laughs>